Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, June 17th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We discuss the heavy rain that impacted the city earlier this week and the protocols that were put in place to prevent flooding similar to what we saw in 2013. The mayor also brings us details surrounding the local state of emergency that's been put in place for the city and when it may be lifted. Still on the topic of this week's extreme rainfall, will it be enough to help Alberta farmers? And could this be a record year for crop yields? We'll discuss with agricultural economist and farmer Matt Gosling. Every 60 seconds, someone in Canada needs blood. And according to Canadian Blood Services, our blood supply is down 25% since April. We get details on the process of donating and tackle some of the myths surrounding blood donation with Jennifer Gretzen, Associate Director of Donor Relations with Canadian Blood Services. And finally, the stats are quite shocking. 75% of all suicides in Canada are men, and 66% of Canadian men believe their mental health is worse than it's ever been. We speak with HGTV star Brian Baumler on the stigma surrounding men's mental health issues and hear his personal story on his struggles with depression. Well, the bulk of the rain looks to be behind us, but Calgary's local state of emergency remains in place. With details on our city's flood preparedness and cleanup efforts, we are joined by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you on an hour earlier, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And uh, <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about this because I know that this has been one heck of a week for the city. We heard about this state of emergency still in place where do we go from here, and when do you expect this state of emergency to be lifted, Mayor? Yeah, you know what? Thanks for all the questions. Um, the state of local emergency was declared on Monday to do a few things, mainly to prepare for any type of severe weather event that could cause harm. So the state of local emergency allowed the emergency management agency to take the lead and to allow for the police service and the fire department to go door to door if it had been necessary to evacuate people. It also allowed us to put measures in place like a temporary berm on Memorial to protect the community of Sunnyside. Now that berm is about 88 meters of clay and just yesterday we permeated it to allow for two lanes of traffic for a temporary period and the reason that we're leaving this uh, state of local emergency in effect is there's another weather system brewing in Kananaskis similar to the last one. Now the last one did not bring as much precipitation as we anticipated. We also had some of it come as snow which alleviated the burden of runoff. Um, this one is also promising 75 to 100 millimeters if it comes our way and with the saturation of the ground the rain is going to be more dangerous than if we had dry land. So there's a lot of things in effect right now. But I want to thank Calgarians for understanding why we are taking these precautions. They've been very patient with each other. They've helped each other clean up after the windstorm. So once again, our city is showing its resilience and its sense of community. Mm -hmm, For sure. You know, Mayor, we learned a lot after the horrific floods of 2013. Can you give us a couple examples of where we saw flood mitigation work with this big rainstorm that we had through the week? Were there places where we might have seen some flooding but didn't because of the work that was done? Yeah, I I would say that, um, you know, the fact that we are catching things earlier and understanding what the impacts are allowed us to um, give people the heads up. I'm pretty happy that we didn't have to do uh, the 1,400 or so evacuations in Bowness and Sunnyside like we had anticipated. The steel gates that were put in 
um, at the Glenmore Reservoir really have uh, have helped the situation and just the monitoring and the understanding of impacts of rain, not just in our city, but to the west of us and the partnerships we've created with the provincial government as well as the federal government with Environment Canada, that's really given us um, a better sense of understanding of what to do and when to do it. Let's talk about that a little further, uh, Madam Mayor, in that we had kind of a framework. We know what protocols are in place, but I know that this isn't just city council meeting very early this week or maybe even late last week to look at tackling this potential issue. So many partners that you folks have to deal with within the city, so many different moving pieces. So can you give us an idea of what these meetings were sort of like a few days ago? Yeah, the, the meetings that we've had at the Emergency Operations Centre have been incredibly focused on the task at hand. So there was a meeting to discuss whether we should call a state of local emergency and the decision was taken to do so, so that we could take action should it be necessary. So I want you to imagine if we had to evacuate people, those folks might not have a place to go. So we had to make arrangements of where there would be an emergency resource center. You can't do um, major moves like that without demonstrating that there is an emergency at hand. The other meeting I can give you an example of is the one about should we take the berm down, should we leave it up? It was a pretty straightforward meeting where Water Resources was leading and saying, if this storm that we are watching to the west does make its way over to our city, there could be trouble. So pretty frank conversations and some pretty solid decision making based on the evidence before us. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, Bill 21 in Quebec uh, prohibits public sector employees from wearing religious symbols like the hijab at work. And I know we had talked to you about this when it sort of came out originally that city council was going to use some city money um, and try to fight that. Now we're hearing, and it's in Tony's news this morning, that the city of Calgary is taking donations for the legal challenge of Bill 21. Why that switch? I would have to say that I just need to clarify, it's not the city of Calgary that's taking donations. It is Calgary as a community. Um, we had three members of council, Councillor Meehan, Councillor Thaliwal, and Councillor Spencer, who went out and did a lot of exhaustive work within our faith-based communities uh, and with Calgarians overall to say, what do you think we should do? What should the role of the city be? And overwhelmingly, Calgarians said, you need to stand up and say that this is wrong. We don't think you need to use City of Calgary funds for this. We believe that as a community of citizens who believe that this should be fought, we would be able to come up with enough donations. The thing that those three councillors then did is came back and reported to us that the community is also seeking a greater commitment and action on anti-racism within Calgary and that they wanted a single point of being able to donate to fight against Bill 21. So that's what happened yesterday. They had a press conference on City Hall steps to talk about what that single point of donation is. Thank you for clearing that up. Perfect. Uh, it's You're welcome. Interesting with the price of energy. Sue and I uh, kicked the show off talking about, you know, how we are hearing rumors and rumblings of more corporate stampede parties and things starting to ramp up. Your thoughts as we have the first, quote-unquote, regular stampede in a few years, Madam Mayor, and uh, what you're seeing as far as could be the economic impact after a three-year, really a three-year hiatus. Well, Stampede has been incredibly diligent and cautious in terms of planning for this year's event. And the organizers, the board, as well as the volunteers are pretty excited to put on a really good show with so many different components for families to enjoy and for visitors to really get to know Calgary. Yesterday, I had a meeting with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce and its uh, board, which is representative of a lot of leaders of major corporations across the country. 
And the thing they said overwhelmingly is the city seems to be really optimistic about its future. And that's not how it felt, you know, three years ago when we were here. And that was nice to hear. I was also able to encourage them to come back for Stampede, bring their friends. There's so much to do in this city in and around that 10-day event. And people are just excited about getting out there and taking everything in. I, I think, it, yeah, it's going to be an exciting one for sure. Will you get down and, and enjoy Stampede this year? I will have an opportunity to participate in the parade and a lot of the events that go with it. I'm really looking forward to it. So many people in Calgary are looking forward to this. We're live on the parade route. You should yeah. come visit Andy and I. Yeah, you should. Well, we'll see what my horse does. Okay. It depends. I think she might be riding with Kevin Costner. Well, yeah, I know, busy. but she can stop by and say hi with Kevin. Oh, Kevin and I will come by and say Perfect. hi. Thanks. Thank you, Mayor. Appreciate it. That's a strong <laughs> army for that. Thank you so much for joining us a little early on a Friday morning. We appreciate that, Mayor. Have a great weekend. You too. That is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Speak with her every Friday right here on Mornings with Sue and Andy. Have you ever been in the parade? No, they wouldn't let me in the parade. Well, I was. I had a broom and I was walking behind a large horse. No, I've never been in the parade. Oh, no, you have to have no. some kind of talent or be, be noteworthy of sorts. Special, apparently. I've not been in it either, oddly I'm enough. I'm surprised because you've done everything. You've been on the snowbirds. I did go in the snowbirds. You've that was pretty sky, awesome. You've, have you skydoven? I have skydoven. I've done none of these things. Yeah. Really? You should get out more. Well, Calgary has seen more than 80 millimeters of rain so far in June. Parts of the province getting well over 100 millimeters. So how does all this rain impact farmers and crops? With some insight, we're joined this morning by agriculture economist and farmer Matt Gosling. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you, sir. Um, you know, we've heard this rain being referred to as a, a million-dollar rain. In some cases, some people are calling it a billion-dollar rain. How key was all of this rain? Most people don't like it other than the farmers, but it's been really important, hasn't it? Oh, it, this is as easy as I've walked since 2016, honestly. Wow. Um, a lot of what we do in, in uh, everything's related to water and what we do in agriculture and uh, outside of helping prevent forest fires, the last general rain we had where we had a, a good rainfall year was 2016. So we've gone through um, five years, six years uh, without it. And, you know, we, we got by fairly good in 17, 18 because we had some subsoil moisture reserve and we had some spotty showers, not a general rain like we had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, where we had the soil uh, ability to take and retain that water slowly. You know, there's a big difference in getting three or four inches over four days versus getting two inches in 15 minutes or 30 minutes over a hailstorm. When a farmer usually says, we had two inches of rain, what did your soil actually get? Did it get two inches over a day or did it get an inch over half an hour? Um, Because the soil's ability only has uh, a certain um, amount that it can take in uh, over time. So it's, I did the math, Sue. Um, A million dollar rain would have happened on less than a 3,000 acre farm. Wow. That's incredible, Matt. And it's interesting because I know that you were far from having the uh, cap on the season. So as far as the remainder, what we have been witness to, if if we happen to be more, well, much more dry over the coming weeks and next uh, six weeks, eight weeks, is that problematic? Was this enough or do we need to have some more consistency as we move deeper into the season? 
Well, great question, and I'm sure you guys have heard uh, the million dollar rain or, or the, the the stampede, the magic stampede rain. And more often than not, I've I've worked with farmers, and we all know that terminology because the most yield influential period we have in a plant's life is during reproduction, and that's typically the end of June or the first two weeks of July. So getting a rain during that time is critically important, but it's not all just about the rain. Um, The temperature, and and last year, we had 31 days over 28 degrees. And in 2019, like this all goes back, in 2019, we had a very big crop that was built on very timely rains, which took up a lot of subsoil moisture. So we started the year of 2021 very dry, we had 31 days of over 28, and essentially we had four inches of rain leading into reproduction before we had those heat domes. And when a plant gets over 28 degrees, it's a very critical temperature, especially with our canola crop, where it goes backwards in a hurry. And we had over a month of those temperatures with half of our our annual 30-year average rainfall. So we had a, a devastating, the, the worst crop I've seen in 19 years of, of doing agronomy work in southern Alberta. Um, so it, it, we've got enough to get us through now, through about halfway through reproduction right now. So if we get a rain during stampede, we will be sitting in a, a target yield average or a, a bumper crop scenario and at these commodity prices it it's it could be historically profitable but we're a long way from getting the grain in the bin like we've got a lot of volatility uh, obviously with what's happening with uh the ukraine and commodity prices are great but our input prices are have been historically high uh through the the seeding season so Yes, lots of lots of dollars and cents. And I, I did the rough math. Um, there's 1.1 million acres in the county of Wheatland, roughly, and about 834 uh, stubbled acres or annual cropped acres. So, for the for the rough math, we got about three inches of rain across the county in this last event. And without considering any pasture and hay, which, which was critically hit without the moisture early in the season um i think we fall just short of 300 million dollars in our county alone wow wow you know i just think as non-farming folk most of us have absolutely no concept of of how weather dependent and, and that you know how devastating it can be depending on what we get in terms of weather thanks for breaking it all down for us matt appreciate your time this morning you're very welcome. Glad to chat. Thank you so much. Matt Gosling is an agricultural economist and a farmer. And uh, boy, that's... that's a, And I don't think you could ever have too much rain as a farmer than obviously listening to Matt speak too. I think that in the end, this is great news. We need at a time when mm-hmm. we need great news, when an industry could use a yes, bit of a break. Uh, we've absolutely. got it. So we'll be on top of that situation for you.
Now is the time for you to roll up your sleeve and donate because according to Canadian Blood Services, Canada's blood supply is down 25% since April. With details and some blood donation myth-busting, we're joined this morning by Jennifer Gretzen, who is Associate Director of Donor Relations and Collections with Canadian Blood Services. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're pleased to have you on because, you know, I'm a, I, I donate every 84 days. It's in my calendar. The automatic appointments come up. You've got a great app for people to make it so much easier to really kind of make appointments and donate now. But still a lot of people don't. What would you say is the biggest reason that people still are scared to or just don't donate blood? I think what people don't realize is right now in Canada, one in two people is eligible to donate blood, plasma or platelets but only one in every 81 does. And those regular or active donors are providing those necessary blood products for the entire country. So this week is actually National Blood Donor Week, and it's an opportunity where we're celebrating and thanking our donors, but also shining a light on the need for more new donors to help keep Canada's lifeline strong. All right. Here's a just we have well, a couple minutes, so let's just myth bust. If you can give us some concise answers, Jennifer, it's like you're on a game show. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Does giving blood hurt? So we found that a lot of people think that, and that's a very common obstacle, but many people find donating blood painless. And for others, they may only feel a slight pinch when the needle's inserted. But the good thing to remember is that slight pinch is very brief and you're saving a patient's life. I have lived in England. Can I donate blood? So right now, individuals who have traveled to certain areas of Europe during certain times may not be eligible to donate blood. The good news is, though, earlier this year, Canadian Blood Service introduced some changes and people who have lived in Saudi Arabia, Western Europe, outside of the UK, Ireland or France are now eligible to donate blood. But if individuals have spent a cumulative total of three months or more in the UK between 1980 and 1996, unfortunately, they will not be eligible to donate blood. True or false, gay men cannot donate blood. So actually, earlier this year, Canadian Blood Services was pleased to share that Health Canada approved our request to remove the eligibility criteria specific to men who've had sex with men. And later this year, we'll be introducing a change which will bring an end to asking men during the pre-donation screening process if they've had sex with another man. And the new criteria will ask all donors, regardless of sexual uh, orientation or gender, if they've had new or multiple partners in the last three months. We have one from uh, one of our texters, uh, Gail's asking, if you've had cancer, you're post-cancer by 15 to 25 years, can you donate blood? So unfortunately, I don't have that information off the top of my head. I would really encourage listeners, if they have any questions about their eligibility, to visit us at blood.ca or give us a call at one to donate You can speak with one of our trained professionals and go over all of your specific questions and they'll be able to determine if you're eligible to donate blood. What about the ages? I've, I've never thought of this. Uh, what age do you have to be to give blood, or can you, as a younger person, have consent of your parent? Yeah, that's a very good question. So to be able to donate blood, you have to be at least 17 years old, feeling well on the day of your donation and general good health, and there is no upper age limit to donating blood as long as everyone meets our eligibility requirements. Can I just pop back to the, if you've lived in the UK, what, what is it about? I know it all has to do with mad cow disease in the UK back then. What is it about why you can't donate? Yeah, so individuals who spent a certain time, a certain, sorry, individuals who spent a certain time period 
in certain areas of Europe may have been exposed to the Creutzfeldt Jacob disease, which is more commonly referred to as mad cows. So unfortunately, during um, for some individuals that spent that cumulative time in the UK or in France or Europe, they are still ineligible to donate blood. Now I'd heard it sits dormant in the body. That's the concern, right? Or it can. Exactly. Yeah, okay. It can. Exactly. I just wanted to clarify that because we get a lot of people asking that question, how come? So Absolutely. makes sense. Well, thank you so much for letting us know about the need and uh, myth busting with us this morning, Jennifer. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Jennifer Gretzen, Associate Director of Donor Relations and Collections with Canadian Blood Services. Online, all you need to know at blood.ca. HGTV's Brian Baumler is speaking out about his personal mental health journey ahead of Father's Day. Having a big name speak out on the issue goes a long way in removing the stigma around mental health, and that's why we wanted to hear his story. Joining us now is HGTV star Brian Baumler. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning. How are you? Good. Before we get to to what you're going to be doing in Ottawa and and, in the organization that you're supporting and and you're behind, we want to hear your story. And I think outside looking in, we've watched your shows. We know who you are. So it might be hard to wrap our heads around the fact that you have had a struggle in your life. Can you tell us about your journey? Yeah, I think everybody's had a bad day or two. Uh, You know, it's interesting. You know, it's exactly, um, I think what what ties this all up in a bow is exactly what happened this morning. You said, good morning, how are you? I said, great, how are you? You said, good. That's what we do as guys, as men. You know, that's what we're expected to do. Big boys don't cry. Keep it inside. You know, don't be a baby. And, you know, in my early 20s, I started probably a 15-year journey with, you know, a massive anxiety and depression, uh, you know, daily panic attacks. I mean, the first three years of, of filming was a was a, a daily, you know, 24-7 anxiety attack and agoraphobia just wanted to you know run home and hide under a pillow um i didn't know what was going on i I didn't really talk to anyone about it uh you know and 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 kind of struggled with it dealt with it educated myself and it took a long time to to get it under control and manage it and understand what was happening as i got older and you know having four children our oldest son dealt with a little bit of uh anxiety a few years ago and the first thing i did is sat down and i said look Here's here's what it is. Here's why it happens. Uh, when you talk to yourself in a certain way, here's how you, you, you ramp up that cycle and get yourself into a panic. And here's how to avoid it. Uh, and here's the science behind it. Here's what explains those physical sensations, you know, and, and explain it to him in, in real understandable layman's terms. And, and I think, you know, he was over it very quickly and, and he could manage it and deal with it himself. So I kind of realized then, you know, it's important for people to share this. We're all curating this online public image of ourselves, you know, whether you have a television show or whether you just have an Instagram account, you're a broadcaster. Uh, you're, you're broadcasting this curated image of yourself that says, I'm okay. Uh, and there's nothing wrong. And, and, you know, I'm better than you because I'm, I'm okay. And, and you're not. So we have to open up that conversation. The, the terrifying thing when I was asked to, to speak at the fathers on the hill event is that there's 4,000 suicides a year in Canada. 75% of those are men. Uh, and younger men. And it's because we don't talk about this. And men's mental health doesn't just affect men. Uh, it affects our wives, our partners, our children, our jobs, the economy. I mean, it affects everything. Uh, so it's, it's a real issue, I think, that we have to remove that stigma and open it up for people to openly talk about it. 
A hundred percent. And I think, you know, you, you've laid it all out there for sure. And and someone like you who, you know, we look at on TV, oh, you're rich, you're famous, you own an island. What could possibly be wrong in your life? But I think it's really important when people like you, Brian, who are real human beings, step up and speak out and say, yes, everybody has their issues and it's okay to talk about it. And I love that you mentioned, you know, with your kids and your son, what about with your daughters? I think it's important that, you know, men talk to, to, to women in their life and women talk talk to men and they're like, we, we have to make it okay. Don't we? A hundred percent. And, and, you know, between men and women, you know, fathers and daughters, obviously there's a, there's an emotional language uh, difference. Um, and you just have to remove the barriers. And, and a lot of, a lot of it is just listening. Uh, a lot of it is just, you know, being able to talk to someone and have them listen and hear you and say, Oh, I, you know, I understand. I've, I've felt like that before sharing stories so that we don't have to all pretend that, that everything is great. I mean, when you, when you look at the last few years, um, you know, we opened a, a hotel. We spent $12 million to, to renovate a hotel, and we opened that hotel one week before a global pandemic shut down international travel. That was a little stressful. Uh, you know, we, we had our days of, uh, of stress going through that, obviously. We, we had, you know, kids to worry about. And, and, but everybody has the same issues on a, on a different scale, in a different area, a different neighborhood. It doesn't matter. Uh, we have to be cognizant that, you know, people have to be able to talk about this stuff and understand this stuff and educate each other on this stuff to, to, to solve the problems. Brian, we're going to direct people to highdadfoundation.ca to, to learn more about the resources available and, and your connection. We appreciate your time and, and what you're doing for dads and men out there. Happy Father's Day, Brian. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on. Thank you. That's Brian Baumler, father, entrepreneur, husband, and HGTV star. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.